Hello, and welcome to this fifth episode of the Post-Concussion Syndrome Awareness Podcast. And uh, today, uh, I'm going to be interviewing one of the members from our groups, Facebook groups. Uh, I've been with us over many years, that's NID. Uh, she's in New South Wales in Australia. Uh, so due to the time difference, uh, up uh, quite early on a Sunday morning. And it's a, a nice, uh, beautiful, bright, sunny morning as well here. So, um, without further ado... Um, I'm just going to mention uh, how you can contact us, of course, on Twitter at Post Concussion Syndrome. On the internet, find us at Facebook, Post Concussion Syndrome Awareness Worldwide. And you can find me on Facebook as well. And also, uh, we've got the WordPress blog, which is uh, updated as and when. That's uh, Post Concussion Syndrome Awareness UK. WordPress.com. Uh, you can find us, or just go to WordPress and search for Post Concussion Syndrome Awareness. You'll find us that way. Right, so without further ado, uh, this is the interview, and I uh, hope you enjoy. Okay, so uh, hello, Nid. Uh, you're Hi, over Nick. there. <laughs> you're over there in a, a much warmer place than I am at the moment. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, I'm just. in Australia, which is. Um, well, actually, we had a cooler day today. It was probably like about 20 degrees. Oh, that must be terrible for you. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it's terrible. I could go and lie on the beach. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, um, we're having one of our coldest Octobers that I can remember here anyway. So, uh, right. So, um, what we wanted to do today, the purpose of, uh, of, of kind of talking to you is, is just to go through, obviously, your own life and experiences um, with post-concussion syndrome and... Uh, um, can you start um, to tell us a little bit, Ned, about how your accident, how your injury occurred? Please. So um, it was New Year's Eve uh, of 2012 to 2013. Um, I was mm-hmm. out with a friend um, in a pop-up nightclub in East London um, when um, I'd had quite a lot of martinis and um, I don't recall what happened but my friend saw me fall down a steel staircase and I landed on my face um, mm. about kind of about six, seven foot drop um, and I'd ripped open my uh, the side of my front face um, and you know they took me to hospital. Um, I was conscious throughout, a bit dazed and confused Yep. Um, and, you know, I presented at the hospital actually quite together. Um, I knew to take my contact lenses out. I was being quite funny. Um, you know, I could sit through A&E for five hours waiting to see doctors. They stitched up my face and were principally concerned with whether or not I'd broken my, my cheek and my eye socket and things. Mm. Um, and and I was sent back for maxillofacial treatment um, and lots and lots of attention to permanent facial scarring, which... I'm very fortunate I didn't scar actually, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, there was just a cursory mention at the hospital in my follow up treatments about concussion and that you know, I might feel a bit funny for a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, as happens with concussion, um, I went back to work after 10 days and my boss kind of kept saying, Oh, something's not right, something's not right. She kept telling me to go back to the doctors, and um, the doctor just kept saying, Oh, well. Maybe it'll just be a couple more weeks, maybe a few months. Mm, <laughs> um, yeah. And it took about three months before it, it kind of first became noted that there was probably something quite significant wrong. Yeah. I see, yeah. The three months mark seems to be a common uh, kind of uh, area where yeah, you're getting beyond a kind of rational sense that this, you're thinking this can't go on forever. 
but then you get to that point and it's like, well, hang on a minute, what if this does go on forever? Um, so how did you cut, think, how did you yeah. cut then? Um, so, I mean, to be honest, I was, I'd, I'd actually um, already left my husband and I was living on my own in London and I was working mm-hmm. in a very fun lawyer job um, and it was my boss who was noticing that there were real problems. I couldn't yeah. walk straight, I'd walk into walls, I'd lose my temper, I'd burst into tears, you know, I couldn't write sentences, yeah. um, I was forgetting things all the time, you know, I was just a, a real mess. Um, and so she kept asking me, to go back to the doctors and the doctors just yeah. didn't really do anything. I mean, the GP no. um, was just, yeah, she just kept saying, oh, there's really long waiting this senior neurologist, so there's no yeah. point on the waiting list because you'll be better by the time you see them. Mm. And I kept saying, but what if I'm not better? What if I'm not better? I still have to wait. Please put me on the waiting list. Um, so after three months, that three months, my boss made me take two weeks off and go and spend two weeks with my mum. And my mum realised that there was something really wrong. So she asked me to see mm-hmm. a friend of hers who was a neurologist. And he kind of said, yeah, it looks like we've got post-concussion. Who knows how long this could last? Um, and from there, I set myself off to find Headway, um, a head injury charity oh, yeah. mm-hmm. in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... I went along to some of their sessions and met people who started making various recommendations about different types of specialists that they'd seen and different types of treatment and different things to ask my GP for help. Um, and I used my savings to start paying to my mm. private consultants. So um, I really struggled with getting yeah. any help from the NHS. Um, wow. They were very unwilling to give me the referrals. Um, and that was very frustrating, it was really frustrating. Um, I also found something called brainwave therapy at the time, which is a form of neuro-retraining, yes, which I yes. paid a lot of money to go and do privately for five days, about mm. five months into my injury, and that gave me perspective of how sick I really was, mm. and I decided that I needed to stop working at that point. So I left my career as a lawyer, um, and got some neuropsychometric testing done again privately, um, which showed how much my IQ had dropped and, and how much I needed to do to improve my health. That. And I got rid of my flat and I went and lived with my best friend who was a GP, and she um, kind of helped me with tactics to help approaching the GPs to get referrals and try and get a bit better support through the NHS. Um, and I did write quite a few letters of complaints to the NHS <laughs> as well really? um, about, about how disjointed the system was, how I'd had such great treatment for my facial scarring, that there'd been no referrals for my head and that no one had really identified it. And that, you know, when I did refer, they weren't talking to the same doctors and they were mm. in different hospitals. And, you know, I was waiting so long that, you know, yes, there was recovery, but how much detriment was happening to me in the process of not knowing what's happening. Um, as I said, Headway were amazing. They were such a great resource. They gave quite a few private consultations and things which were really supportive and really yeah. helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just put myself, um, to be honest, on, on my own regime pretty much from the beginning. I kept an Excel sheet. I monitored my symptoms every day. I wrote down from a zero to 10 rating, you know, how much sleep I had, how bad my migraines were, how much pain I was in, how distressed I was, yeah. how many hours I'd cried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like the full remit of, of um, you know, how little you can do, how much I've physically been able to walk, oh. say, because I was so exhausted with the neuro fatigue. Um, and yes. after a year of monitoring myself, I could see that there was a degree of slow improvement. 
Um, and so I moved back to London to start to integrate myself and I lived with my sister. And again, I paid for more um, private consultation with a neuro-occupational therapist. Um, he gave me projects to do in terms of helping me structure my day and return to the ability to work. Um, and that was really helpful, but obviously all the doctor's advice about returning to work is slow reintegration back into the system. The doctors would say, well, you're well enough to work, say, two hours a day, maybe. Um, but they were saying I was well enough to work, but it wasn't mm-hmm. actually that I could function as a lawyer. So I had this no. issue where lawyers were saying, well, A, you have to be able to work at least, you know, a 14-hour day. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And two hours isn't realistic. So we don't want to give you work. But they were also saying you're also a liability because it, we mm. can see that yeah. you aren't functioning as a lawyer. You're functioning below normal. And... I had more neuropsychometric testing and I was still functioning below average. So I wasn't at the IQ level I needed for my career. So I then noticed, you know, the other issue with the health system is that people are signing you off to work, but you're not functioning necessarily at the performance required for certain roles. Um, And so there's an issue there with the health system saying that you can contribute to society. um, But not necessarily in the roles that maybe you've once done. So... I found that very challenging um, to work through in how I could feel like I was coming back into the world. I think after about 15 months, you know, it was quite depressing feeling like you can't do anything useful and have a job um, and being on benefits um, and all of those associations, you know, with Mm. being a sick person. Yeah, and then... Um, did, did things then start to come to a head at work, or was it, uh, the the kind of like uh, a, you know a, a build up of, so I, of, of I resentment against job, you? So I had no job to go back to. So yeah, it, it, yeah, um, it kind of built up and exploded. So then. I I changed career. I taught dance before I was a lawyer, so I went back and retrained um, as a Pilates teacher, um, and mm. did some other trainings and started teaching as a self-employed person. Um, you know, building up my own hours. And I did a bit of consulting, business consulting for a friend of mine who was starting his business and he gave me flexi hours. And so I could kind of, you know, on the days when I felt okay, I could do bits, I could yeah, go and teach and then go mm-hmm. and sleep for yeah. like a day. Yeah, you could fit <laughs> and it together. I slowly, you know, build stuff up, got sick, took time off, like, and, I, and it was good, it was flexible. Um, it was very challenging not having a routine, which obviously all the doctors tell you to do. But mm, then yes. I didn't really have a choice. You know, my view was, well, this gives me an ability to work. It means I'm learning. I'm putting myself in environments where I've got structure. Um, but, you know, yes, I don't have a nine-to-five job, but I can't get a nine-to-five job. Like, I just I couldn't find anything. I tried no, so many no. times. I spoke to so many law firms. I went through so much testing. Um, you know, there just wasn't, there wasn't a job that I could do. And I did a couple of stints of a couple of weeks of temp work. Um, doing like paralegal work, and I was just too—I was too sick from it. It would make me so yeah, ill again. I understand. Yeah. Such resets, yeah. So it was—it was frustrating. You know, it was frustrating, but you learn, I think, through those processes to have quite a lot of compassion for yourself. And oh yeah, of course, that's that's, that that's vital. That's absolutely vital. And you mentioned as well that your sister was there to help you through some of it, or you stayed with your sister. Um, who else was there at that time, and and how so, were they able to kind of yeah. empathise and guide you, or um, how, how did that go? Instantly, my best friend. She was the first person that came and stayed with me after my accident. She came up in Wales, and I went mm-hmm. and lived with her when I left my flat in London. Um, yeah. She was amazing, um, absolute 
godsend. Um, she you. was just so patient and tolerant, and I went back and stayed with her this summer. And and you know, she was saying she remembered coming home from work and just finding me sitting on the floor in sobs of tears, unable to line three jars up in a row because I just couldn't make sense of what was in front of me. Yeah. Um, you know that that desperate place, and mm. she was so patient with me. And she'd be so kind and just take me for walks and, and things. So she was always amazing. My sister also was very patient and very tolerant um, with me when I went to London. I really struggled with reintegrating back into the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and she and I'd always had difficult relationships. Actually, it was it was really wonderful. This it really helped bring us together um, yeah. and have a much better understanding and much more compassion for one another, which was really lovely turnaround. Um, and my parents were really great as well um, in their own ways. They did their best to support me. Neither of them lived in the UK, so it was mm-hmm. um, hard for them to be able to do much more than kind of send me money. My mum pretty much would make me have a regular daily phone call um, <laughs> to check in on me, which I found really That's hard, mum's for you. No, that's mum's for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, she'd and, find you. That's um, what mums do. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Super sleuths. And then when I was in London, the girls that, um, my friend that saw me have my head injury, so my friend who was standing at the top of the stairs when I fell down was amazing. Mm. You know, she would come and just amuse me when I was really low in London. She'd just come after work and make up games and things and just sit with me. And she was fabulous. And That's great. Yeah. It, they were really understanding. I think the, the degree of personality change and the degree mm. of... Um, how much I was struggling from what I was like before. People mm. were very understanding. Yeah, um, that's excellent. I was very blessed with how fabulous people were towards me. Um, you know, yeah. I look back and I think at those outbursts of anger that I would throw at people. Yeah, emotional um, ability, yeah, that, that comes up a lot. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah you had... Uh, Mixed fortunes, though, because you're saying that, I mean, I, a lot of what you said about the NHS resonated entirely with me. But it's like, you know, you, they're saying, oh, well, you know, by the time you get your referral through, you'll probably be OK again. And I mean, I went, uh, if you can believe it, most people don't. I went nine years and never got to see a neurologist once. Uh, I think I had, I think, four mild traumatic brain injuries in that period of time. And the main thing with me was nobody saw me have my accident so unlike yourself you say any friends saw you and, and obviously they could relate it but I think it seems to be with the NHS that you know it's like if a tree falls in a forest you know and there's nobody there to hear it um I don't I don't know what you think about that but they, they just seem to be I think the NHS is great for acute issues. Trauma, what the NHS yeah. does well is it looks after people in immediate trauma. So that's why they're yeah. amazing. And childbirth sense. and so on, yeah. Yeah, anything that requires instant attention. And I guess mm. it's my view now on Western medicine overall. Western medicine is great to, like, you know, bring you back to life. It's trauma, great yeah. to, mm-hmm. you know, deal with someone having a stroke. It's good to, to put your leg back on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's what that's what the Western medical system is good at, and then mm-hmm. and the NHS is a true reflection of what the Western medical system does. Mm, yeah. What it doesn't do is is things that require more social care, and a head injury is as much a social issue as it is a well being and a health problem. Yes. Because you need the social support, you need your connections, and 
you need to be able to piece together all the aspects of your life that your brain you know, does for you. It all needs to come together to help your brain heal. Yeah. You can't just have a bandage on it. That's not going to work. You know, it's not just the brain retraining. Well, it's the social cues that you need to relearn. It's empathy you need to relearn. And anger management. It's a bit of mindfulness. It's like how to move your body in a way that's not going to hurt you. It's how to eat well. And, you know, all of those things are all a part of it. And medications yeah, can be like the medications can be like the the sticky plaster, can't they? For, for oh many yeah, people. and you know they and, were so keen to give me so many drugs. Uh, yeah. So you know, <laughs> and I did. I really fought it actually. So I was very keen that the only way I would know if I was getting better was if I could get rid of the pain and if I could get rid of the symptoms. Yeah, so that, that's quite common. Was really pushed through. Mm. Um. Although I would say you can't push through PCS. You have to no, no, allow that's, it that's a, a, a fact. and ride it. Yeah, that's a fact. I think we're, we're both agreed on a lot of things here, and that is the same. Where the um, allopathic medications come in, the painkillers, the tranquilizers, the antidepressants, sleeping tablets, it, it is, I would say, just very much a sticky plaster. But what we found, and I don't know if, if you've noticed in the, that the Facebook groups as well, is... Some people are, are, are two, three, four, five, six, even ten years in, and they're still treating it with sticky plasters. Yeah. And then they're wondering as well why the 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 kind of everything's still in such a mess for them, uh, when like the world's leading authorities on PCS, like uh, you know, Dr. Michael McCreel, the neurologist, say, well, one to three months tops, and that's it. Uh, what do you think about the the situation there, like with with uh, you know, how, how we see that every day on Facebook, nearly. I think it's difficult. If you've got recurring head injuries, then you've got a slightly different nuance to the problem. Um, I mean, I've got a client of mine who's had several recurring head injuries. When she recently fell down a well, you know, she needed oh, to dear. start taking tablets again to help because it changed, yeah. again, a new, you know, aspect of the head injuries for her. And so... She kind of keeps on going on and off medication because of the way she keeps on re-injuring herself. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's a, you've got to be careful because some people you don't know if there's something else going on. Of course. Um, yeah. So I don't want to judge anyone for taking the tablets in that respect, but I do think in the people that I've met and in the years that um, the, you know I've travelled the world now with this and I've worked with quite a few different organisations. Um, the people I see who really make the biggest healing are the people who really look at it as a healing journey through all aspects of who you are Mm -hmm. you know it's to me PCS is like the wake up call that you have not been living your best self and you literally need to crack your head open and realign yourself to what you're here to live and it humbles you to not being whatever your ego was making you before your head injury. And if you're allowing bits of your ego to still drive, it's because you're clearly, you know, you're still not kind of surrendering sometimes to it. And Mm. that's not to say that people aren't surrendering, but there's lots of levels at which you have to surrender. And a large part of that is that it's a really slow and quite painful and quite frustrating process. Mm -hmm. And for those of us who really struggle with acceptance, and I'm definitely one of those people, um, you know, your health issues keep coming up because you're fighting 
you know, you're pushing through the acceptance. Yeah, and that, that type of... limitations. Yeah, that, that type of... Uh, it, it is very much, it can be for many people who see the opportunity, be a spiritual awakening. I mean, you know, my life was just totally turned upside down within a matter of months, within a year. Uh, it was just like, you know, taken upside down, shake, everything was shaken out, and all that was left was like myself trying to recover and yeah that that can be the same for many people um, going back to medications i think it's important to draw a line between mild traumatic brain injury and post-concussion syndrome and then the very separate conditions of tbi and stbi so that's uh, me, me and often in the groups we get all three types of people join many have been in car wrecks have had you know repeated horrific kind of accidents and things and they've been in hospital lots of times and where i draw the line is between maltraumatic brain injury as the experts do and the other two categories now we can't turn people away we can't say well you know actually you know it's you know we've got to be inclusive of everybody and I think if you have had the traumatic brain injury or severe traumatic brain injury, then yes, you will probably be on some types of medications for most of your life. But where the difference with mild traumatic brain injury is, well, actually, then, you know, the experts are saying, well, it doesn't benefit anybody. So we have to be very, very careful. And it could be really tough to explain that. Uh, to people. And it's also, you know, it's a sliding scale to an extent. It's not very easy to just chop off a line and say, you know, you're in that category and you're not. I mean, I know that's what you have to do from a medical perspective. Yeah, the Glasgow Coma um, Scale and so but, on. They, they, but, they... you know, I think the, the neurologist, that the very first neurologist I saw, um, who was the family friend, um, he explained to me that the problem with brain injuries, regardless, you know, mild traumatic, you know, to that point of it's a sliding scale where you only know how sick you are with hindsight of how well you've become. And at the time I was like, God, that's really depressing. He was like, but there's no way that we can really say how sick you are or how bad it's going to be or how long it's going to be until you get better. And, you know, that, that doesn't make it kind of very consoling when you're the person who's there. No. But it also does show the difficulty that the doctors are faced with in really knowing how sick someone is as to whether you should be on the meds or not. Yeah, and I think that there's a, that we, we've both had experiences with NHS and we know that the only diagnostic technology they have is a CAT scan or an MRI scan, both of which they only really do to rule out anything more serious. So you're looking above and beyond mild traumatic brain injury. So they're trying to look for things beyond that. And when they don't find anything, most people are usually very discouraged. And I went through both. Um, I think the first time I had a CT scan, I'd woken up after a week at work. I'd woken up on a Saturday morning and half my body was paralyzed. I was just numb. Uh, I managed to get myself in a taxi, go to the hospital, had the CT scan. They left me sat in the corridor for two hours. And I eventually was asking people, you know, what do I do? What's going on? Do I get a result? And the guy just said to me, uh, you've got some brain swelling. Uh, take your med medications and go home. And then the MRI oh. scan, similar. Oh. The MRI scan was like, well, uh, you know, you've got some brain swelling. Um, can't really, there's nothing more serious than that. But if you look at, uh, you know, di diffusion tensor imaging and different things, 
which are available in the United States, you know, a standard to a lot of neurologists who will have the correct diagnostic technology. So when we look at the UK, we're thinking, well, like I say, it's, it's like trying to read an ordnance survey map with a telescope. You, you're kind of looking in for one thing, but not for another. And um, I think that's where we're seriously behind other places, other countries. So and it's, I think, it's and worrying. I, think that's, I mean, you know, that was why for me, I kind of gave up on the NHS and I just put myself on my own, you know, approach. And I just, I talked yeah. to as many people and got found, found specialists where I could. And some specialists wouldn't see me because I didn't have an NHS referral, even yeah, though I, yeah, was paying, yeah. I was trying to pay privately. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, which was really frustrating. Mm. Um, you know, so, I mean, the UK... The problem with the UK is because of the NHS, in a way, it makes it much harder to navigate. Well, um, it's and they're only mostly private in, now. You know, big, big problem. And mm. But the private system in the UK is not really there, unless you're with Google or something. And even then, it's still quite hard to find people. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. You know, get a good network, because they just still don't talk to each other, you know. You're well, not no. in, in no. any kind of specialist clinic. No, well, they're in business, and, and obviously then it becomes a proprietary thing for them to have their own techniques and things protected. Um, I think there, there are some clinics. I remember when I was living in Manchester, there were one or two which were just around the corner, and I remember seeing these one day and thinking, oh, yeah, this, this institute deals with post-concussion syndrome and sports injuries and things. I was like, I'd never heard of it before. But of course, they're private, and they're going to cost a lot of money. Whereas with your, your good old NHS, um, you know, you've already paid for that down the years, so you you taxes and whatnot but i was interested to hear what you said that you paid for much of your own treatment and your diagnostic treatment yourself yeah. and uh, well, I think that, I just, that was I good that you could that do I that i didn't want to wait no but you, you know you, i didn't want to wait and i was like actually for and i guess this is one of the things that really shifted for me was that investing in my health like that was yeah. the thing that changed i was like do you know what I don't have any money, you know, I was 70 pounds a week on benefits, but I was still willing to put whatever money I had, oh, my yeah. savings, into getting my health sorted. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a way to do it. I mean, myself, I, I, I didn't have any savings. I think I, when I had to, I was forced to sell my house and, and I, then I had literally nothing left. But um, I then went through, you know, kind of a few years, I had another injury and and things weren't so good. When I came out the other side, Ned, um, I looked to go natural, as you did, and, and kind of go on a holistic path. And then what I did was I joined some groups. And I think uh, by that time, I'd, I'd got I'd, I'd greedy me. So I had fibromyalgia as well and, and costochondritis and stuff. So I'd been going to a fibromyalgia group, uh, all these lovely ladies that kind of met once a week. And I think there was only one other gent there, um, lovely chap. Uh, I, think, I think his uh, name was Adam. And... Um, one day, there's a lady came to do a talk, and it was um, a lady I know well, uh, Dr. Alison Merrick, as a wonderful um, Bowen technique therapist. She does MLD and all kinds of stuff for people with chronic pain. And she did this talk and said, "Oh well, you know, I might be looking for some case studies." So I got in touch with her, knowing that I couldn't afford very much, because you're looking at maybe forty, forty-five pound a treatment uh, once a fortnight. And I was like you on benefits and thinking, "Oh." But I had a chat with her and she said, well, I don't get many men and it's definitely not many men with fibromyalgia. So if I do this for you at kind of just less than half price or whatever, will you be my case study? And within a year, she just like totally got, I was off all medications. I was away from the NHS. 
Not that the NHS had ever helped me. I'd never been in hospital, uh, despite having kind of like four, uh, three or four concussions in that time. I never had a single referral. I'd never been treated, never been allowed to see a neurologist. And really, I am, I look back on it now and think, I'm lucky to be alive. One, I'm lucky I didn't kind of like, uh, you know, um, succumb to just kind of total despair or, or kind of destroy myself like I'd seen other people destroy themselves. But also, I was just lucky and grateful to have found a different way. So, like, you do find your way back to healing, don't you? What do you think? I think, I think you do. I mean, I think, you know, gosh, I think back to, I mean, especially because I was two years, I was going to the same maxillofacial clinic for my scarring, right. and the psychologist right. there would ask me, you know, about, you know, was I traumatised from falling down the stairs? And I'd sit in the, these meetings, and I'd be like, no, I've got a head injury. My life has been turned upside down. I was like, can I not talk to you about my head injury and how this system mm. is completely messed up? And she'd be like, oh, the problem is you present really well, but I'm on a limited scope of, you know, this yeah. study that I've been funded for. You know, and she'd say, but I'd really like you to write letters and tell the NHS about what's wrong with it. You know, mm. and I was like, this is not, it's not going to, I can see that there's a problem with the system, but what, yeah. what really changed it for me was that I... You know, I was told by one of the doctors, just do some meditation. It's the only thing that's going to help you. And literally, I would just spend hours a day meditating, and I would listen to meditations. And I, because there was nothing else I could do. I was in so much pain. The only thing that didn't hurt was to literally sit there and say to myself, shh, 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 for hours. That's really good advice. That was it. And that's what I used to do for hours and end. I'd stare mm. out of my window if I could open my eyes and I would make that sound and I'd go between crying or not. And then eventually I learned a white light healing mass, um, meditation that I would do and that really helped to kind mm. of ease yeah. some of the pain yeah. and just calm me down. Mm. Um, and, you know, over time I learned, you know, through the teaching and the networks that I was building, some different um, tools around kind of, you know, Reiki healing, which I'd had before, but I'd never been, Mm -hmm. you know, overly into, and I was working a lot with yoga teachers when I was teaching in the studios in London, Um, and so I was building a healing network, and people would offer me healing, because they'd see that I was in pain, so I started getting lots of, you know, very loving, generous people offering me that kind of help, (laughs) and also, you know, I, I began one of the tasks that my occupational therapist was to do a blog and I did a blog on food because I realized that my brain couldn't follow a recipe so mm. I went to make a chocolate cake for my friend's birthday and I forgot to put the chocolate in so I recognized <laughs> that recipes were a really good marker for how well my brain was functioning was how complex a recipe I could follow yeah. and so I started blogging about recipes that were you know easy for when your brain's really not working and then slowly getting a bit more complicated depending on if you were feeling a bit better with function but I also mm learn about foods that were good for brain health as well as for facial scarring so i was yeah. trying to get a diet of food that would be really high in vitamin e for my face mm-hmm. but also really high in like omega-3s for really trying to help with healing my brain and looking at anti-inflammatory diets so that i could reduce the swelling in my brain and yeah. you know that stuff and then meeting nutritionists who taught me even more all of that was, you know, really started helping me make that shift. And, and then after four years, <laughs> like I lose track of the years, four years of being mm-hmm. in the UK, you know, I'd recovered. I was managing to work a full-time job. I'd set up my own company. I had yeah. teachers that were running and I worked. Um, I actually left the full-time job 
did consulting and ran my company. And, yeah. um, and I just realised I was really unhappy in the UK and I'd had enough. And so, you know, with very little money, again, set aside. <laughs> um, mm. But I knew I was finally well enough that I could travel. And I think that was the main thing for me, was I knew that I was well enough to be on my own and that I could be independent and that I wouldn't fall apart if I was in an airport or something. And I just didn't tell people. I just left the UK on a three-week holiday. Yeah. And changed my flight once I'd left the country and didn't go back. Wow, that, that's, yeah, that's one way to make an exit. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I just well, you know, knew I needed to leave. And I, I went and, and literally, like a miracle, I got offered some work on a healing detox retreat. And I literally lived on detoxes for over three months. And that yeah. nutrition change really helped me reset my well-being. Yeah. And that made me see the power of how we eat in terms of oh, our yeah. health recovery. Yeah, food is such a massive part of that. And... and you know, not just eating a rainbow, all different colours, but nutrition itself and then supplemental nutrition as well. And I think a lot of what you're talking about as well is I have a, I have a deep interest in functional medicine. Uh, things that actually get yes, to the root, yes. co- root cause of illness and problems. So if you think about a mild traumatic brain injury, what is it that the, these doctors, you know, can't see that confuses them so much? Well, you think like these little uh, cells, axonal cells in the brain... The, and the the, ner- the the nerve cells aren't actually dead, they've just been distended or stretched. And so then the brain has to kind of work around that and say, well, how do I kind of gradually repair this? If you're just kind of like eating, you know, kind of prepackaged food or, you know, junk food or, or like a, you know, an unnutritious diet, and then you put in all these medications and things in your body, then not only is your immune system going to go right down, but your brain repairing itself is going to take so much longer and so and, and one of the things yeah. that i was told sorry to interrupt was no, um, so your brain you know your brain takes up about 25 to 30 percent of your calorie intake right and when yes. it's healing it needs even more so you know i noticed my my um appetite hugely increased now for some people they also lose their ability to have um any um awareness of how full their stomach is with their head injury yeah, or even awareness yeah, of how hungry true. they are yeah. but mm-hmm. you know you've got to remember a healing brain is going to be looking for even more calories than normal so you're yeah. going to be looking to really fill it up so that's where people get a that neuro fatigue but also they're looking to yes. have those sugary things to give uh, them that energy yeah, to like yeah, function yeah. and be in a conversation um so you really need to look at diet in terms of feeding that brain so that it can A, heal, but also function with the optimum nutrients that it can. And Dr. Mark Hyman's done some really good stuff from functional med- medical perspective oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, around um, brain injuries and brain health. Mm-hmm. And um, he, the Broken Brain podcast that um, his partner, Drew Burt, does is really fabulous in terms of learning more about just brain health in general, but actually they... You know, they did a TV series about how people's brains are broken, and he did mm. do an episode on head injuries, um, looking at kind of what would be the optimum, not just nutrition, but also other things that you can do in terms of the early stages of mm-hmm. um, brain health recovery from a head injury. So that I found, and I only found that much later on in my recovery, um, kind of 2017, yeah. um, mm-hmm. it all came out, and that that's really good resource for people because they look at it from a very holistic and functional perspective yeah, and so you, know, you don't yeah. need to be a dippy healer like all the energy stuff that no, i no, do that no, not everyone no. wants to do you know 
I do think you have to do meditation. I don't think you can get away with not doing it. I know that it's no. hard, and I know that people can be quite resistant to it, but that was the new, what one neurologist said to me was do the meditation, and he's so right, you have to, because yeah. your brain needs downtime to rewire itself, and meditation is a rewiring. It's rebuilding the networks. You know, it's not mm, just sleep, but you yeah. need to do it when you're awake. Yeah, that's it. I'm in, and going back to meditation, uh, I learned when I was eight years old. Um, my parents, they weren't quite hippies, but they, they took us, uh, me and my brothers, to uh, learn transcendental meditation. I was eight years old and I was like, you know, and that stayed with me through my teen years. And then I was meditating. I'd be like commuting to work, which was like an hour and a half each way at least. I'd be sat on the top deck of the bus. Like, kind of like meditating for half an hour because that was the only time I had <laughs> in the day That's awesome. uh, yeah <laughs> and so I've, I've kept that up and, and that was yeah for me too a, a major saving grace uh, and I think it, it can seem like a really daunting thing for people that will say oh I've tried meditation but it didn't work and you think well actually well you know maybe you just didn't quite get the right guidance or the right and there are some really, really great things, tools available to us free now. I mean, you've got YouTube and you can just kind of find frequencies and things there. But there's actually one that I would really recommend to people. It's been around for many, many years. Uh, and a gentleman was Australian and unfortunately he passed many years ago. Uh, a chap called Barry Long. And he did uh, a, a tape course, which was then back on cassette tape. I think it's probably digital now. And I believe it's still free. And it's just called Start Meditating Now. And he guides you through kind of like how, how to get deep into meditation just through visualization. And he, he explains it so well. Um, and he's very matter of fact. So if anybody, when you're listening out there to this interview, just maybe consider that if you ha have struggled, don't underestimate the power of a still mind. I mean, and it's not even a still mind. I think, you know, oh, I do... Still so I consciousness. Meditation or yoga nidra. Um, and, and it was my head injury that um, propelled me into learning this because I found it so powerful um, and transformative. And there's the Richard Miller Eye Rest Yoga Nidras, which are wonderful for trauma. He designed mm. them for military veterans. Oh, yeah. So mm. they've had loads of studies done around how they help people who've had trauma in their lives yeah. um, and what it's so it's a very sensitive style of yoga nidra yoga nidra is where you just lie down you don't even have to fall asleep and you're guided through a journey and mm. part of that process are breathing techniques and um, learning to sense into the body and sense into opposite sensations and how mm -hmm. I remember the moment when I realized that I was in complete control of my sensory experience and that I was able to literally be like, I'm standing out in the cold and being like, I don't want to be cold, I want to be warm. And being able to then stop that kind of, you know, rigid cold feeling and relax. Mm. And being like, I'm in control regardless of my physical surroundings. And, yeah. you know, those kind of things are so powerful, especially when you feel so out of control with a head injury, to learn mm. those kind of tools. Um, so, I mean, I definitely say that that's an amazing practice, which is the I rest with Richard Miller. Um, I do them myself um, and I do short meditations and I do the yoga nidras as well for people um, and you know they're, they're really popular and they're on iTunes and Spotify and uh -huh. all the usual places mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that 
you know, I, I definitely noticed those are the kind of things really change things. And in fact, um, oh my gosh, I've totally forgotten his name. Um, I'll find it. I'll send It'll you a link. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a, um, a sportsman in America who founded um, Love Your Brain. Yeah. Um, and his is all yoga and meditation um, for brain healing. Um, oh, right. Kevin Pierce, that's his name, Kevin Pierce. Kevin Pierce. Um, yeah. And he he does a variety of different education, yoga, meditation. There's free resources as well, and that's a US organisation. Oh, yeah. And his came from his brain injury. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's I think there's quite a few people who have really discovered, um, experienced, and are trying to share. Mm. Um, the importance of this in terms of healing from a brain injury and yeah. how it really it's I don't think you can't just say that the meditation and the yoga nature practices are the healing tool what they do is they help you get this perspective yeah it, it's like that cake you were talking about <laughs> it's like the cake you're talking about you know you can't forget the chocolate and meditation might be the chocolate in the cake but you need the flour the sugar the icing everything else and that's that's the same for a healing journey you need a number of things um kind of practiced and repeated uh in combination i think yeah definitely definitely and you know those all become a part of the routine that the doctors tell you you have to have you know the doctors say you must build a routine and those are the tools that you want to put into your routine you know they are the meditation they are how you eat they are connecting with people um, yeah, and yeah. you know, really appreciating those people yeah, who so you, and even the new people who come into your life and yes. offer you support. Yeah, the, um, the new ones. You know, right. Accepting you as you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a really important part of it. And, and you know, I think like um, you, you've got to beware because I went through quite a, a period of isolation with people that I thought were friends and so on. And I, I was on my own. I didn't. I didn't have. The, the kind of support from family because they were just like, oh, well, you know, you're probably faking it. Uh, and a lot of friends were kind of there trying to test me and, and trying to test me to see if I'd break, you know, th- this pretense that I thought I was putting on. So I kind of like, I was up against it and that, that kind of made the emotional ability worse. So sometimes I'd just kind of like collapse and be like, you know, what the hell? Um, but yeah, making new social pathways kind of I, I had to retrain myself I was, I was just totally became fairly social inept at times and it could be like well you know um i had to had to find more positive people to be around and yes, that, i think that yes, is a, a, that, the real key you don't key. want You've people around you people. Yeah, you sometimes don't. that does mean getting rid of your old friends and family especially yeah, if they're not yeah. supporting yeah, you they're, i mean even if they are supporting you but they're negative oh yeah it's a few that survived a few survived <laughs> The good ones. <laughs> um, right, so, uh, well, we've got a few minutes left, Nick. Can you tell us about uh, what you're up to now and what does the future hold for you as well, please? Um, so I would say this was the first year that I, um, on the anniversary of my accident, I looked back and I didn't go, oh, my God, what a huge health improvement. So I finally felt like I was stabilised, which was yeah. very exciting. Right, that's good. Um, and at that same time, I decided to move to Australia. So um, I've just settled into Australia. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's like rebuilding my life again. <laughs> yeah. Um, a bit like the UK. So, you know, still teaching um, yoga and Pilates and meditation out here now, which is a very different industry, which is very interesting. Mm. Um, but also people have been seeking my um, my business and kind of legal knowledge. So I'm starting to do right. 
a bit more pseudo business consulting, you know, with the, with the legal influence. Um, yeah. For okay. mostly other mindfulness companies, healers, and wellbeing professionals looking at how they can value, you know, the wonderful things that they're creating. And for me, that's really important is to support mm. that community. But also, you know, I do miss the lawyer in me, and I do now have that ability to have that function. I don't have the stamina for the stress of that career no, still, and no. I don't think I'd want to go back to what I was beforehand. No. No. Um, so, you know, the future is balancing those two parts of my world and trying to bring them together in a slightly more full offering to people. Um, but, you know, I'll still still be doing all of my online stuff and hopefully get back to retreats once my visa's resolved in Australia. Yeah. Um, so you know, lots of very boring logistical things, but also wonderful and exciting um, opportunities and changes are happening, which is really exciting. And it's nice That's to good. feel that my health is really stable mm. enough to to feel like I can move forward with my life um, in a way that I think I still do have moments where I question if I'm fearing moving forwards because I worry about mm. my health yeah. and the limitations. But I don't believe that there's really anything holding me back now other than what's in my mind. I think oh, I'm now just aware of my well-being. I'm now aware of my stress levels. You know, I'm not pushing through things that I was doing before. Yeah. And maybe now I'm just learning to, I'm accepting and living within who I am, which maybe mm-hmm. I wasn't doing before that. Um, and enjoying myself is the key part of my focus for life is to be surrounded by lots of wonderful loving positive people which i am Fantastic. very fortunate to be surrounded by that's good that's good to hear well yeah. well thank you for taking this time to join me and uh, you know i feel like obviously we have a whole we could have a whole lot more to talk about uh, another time <laughs> if you wanted to do this again because we, we seem <laughs> we seem similarly minded on a lot of things and we've only kind of touched the surface of the healing side of things uh, which is, yeah. uh, if you, you know, is my kind of main area of, of geekishness as well. So yeah, maybe we could um, uh, follow this up another time if that's, that's if that's good with you. Yeah, that would be lovely. I'd love to explore in depth a bit more some of the um, other aspects of healing, especially where you get the the science moving and into that esoteric world of healing and oh, how they yeah, merge that's... together. Because I do think that <laughs> yeah. head injury is so those two worlds. Together. Well, yeah. If if you look at um, the study science on brains and, and the brain or the br- the brains, as we have four of them, uh, men obviously have five, as I always say, but <laughs> everybody else has four. Um, so yeah, um, the brain can operate in up to eleven uh, that we know of at least eleven different dimensions at once. And if I think about people like Amit Goswami, where he's written about the brain and consciousness, and when I think about healing, and when I kind of teach reiki you do angelic reiki and all and sound healing you you can feel shifts to places where you're like hang on a minute this isn't familiar everyday stuff this energy is coming in to heal people and this is where that a new paradigm of science and healing is emerging it is coming you know i'm I'm sorry to science is catching up oh it is massively (laughs) and Oddly yeah. enough, uh, a majority of what the, the catching up and realizing and, and saying, well, this is now a fact that, you know, you have neurons in your heart and, and glials and pathways in your gut and also neurons there that produce serotonin. You know, I mean, like people, for decades, centuries, even, you know, hundreds, thousands of years, 
you know, ancient texts um, and, you know, hidden esoteric knowledge has been saying all of this and like science is now, oh yes, well now it's proven. So, you know, they, they are kind of catching up um, with things and that, that's really good. But we need to kind of sit on the edge of this new paradigm, I think, and look at it and, and think, well, yeah. how can we help ourselves until the traditional healthcare catches up? Which, you know, who knows how those models will also be unfolding, depending on what goes on with things like Brexit and um, various endless elections, especially in the UK. But um, What's Brexit? Sorry? <laughs> you know, that endless... Is that, is that, that, thing. Is that new biscuit with chocolate on? Uh, <laughs> um, well, I think... I think, you know, those kind of things have such significant changes in... And just the this how the healthcare system is going to be set up. I think yeah, you know we do yeah. have to be in a well, world where we are progressing the health service yes. by doing something for ourselves. Um, yeah, as well. indeed. Yeah, and this is another reason why it's it's so important uh, for. Uh, those of us that have uh, some background and knowledge uh, and kind of, of, of grounding in, in healing and different ways to heal, that we put that forward to people, that it is something they can do themselves. You know, you don't have to be reliant on doctors past, past a certain stage. In fact, as, as I'm living proof and others, many others are, and, and yourself to a great extent, um, we've healed ourselves. And it's also, you know, realising that it's actually a very empowering journey. Um, yeah. Having a head injury can be so empowering in it's terms of taking control of your massive. health and not needing that system. Yeah, it's um, massive. Because it can be within your hands and it's it's your choice as to how you want to heal and how you want to recover and what yeah. use you want to make of it. Absolutely. Right, that's fantastic. On, on that note, that's that positive note, we're going to leave it there. So once again, Ned, thank you very much. I'll, I'll let you get back to your evening. Um, oh, wait, we're, we've, we've gone up a degree of warmth here. We're now six degrees Celsius, so that I'm happy now. Have <laughs> so, a lovely warm Sunday. Enjoy your day. I'll do my best. All right. Thanks very much. So there you go, uh, and thanks again to Nid uh, for joining me. I'm sure we'll, we'll look forward to speaking uh, to her again sometime in the near future. Um, just a little bit more um, about Nid as well, uh, Nid Ra. And uh, yeah, as you heard her talk about a background uh, and her previous jobs in the legal profession, um, she does have a background in teaching dance and fitness. Uh, she's worked with uh, children with special needs um, and had you know, her own personal struggles as well in her lifetime. Um, the first class honours in legal masters, um, which she uh, got in Washington, Washington DC, and uh, worked as a barrister in England as well uh, before those difficulties, before difficulties with, with head injury, post-concussion syndrome uh, came to the fore. Uh, just worked in a range um, of roles uh, in-house leading media for music companies such as BMI New York and uh, with MySpace News International Press Association and um, specialises in uh, music technology as well um, so I think yeah if, if you want to have a look at uh, uh, NIDS website uh, it is nidsnidra.com uh, which is n-i-d-s-n-i-d-r-a dot com uh, and you'll find much more information 
uh, and you can subscribe to her uh, newsletters and so on. I'm sure if you want to get in touch, she'll be uh, really glad to hear from you as well. So thank you again, Ned. Um, finally, uh, before I leave you, uh, I've just got a, a few more messages. I'm just going to uh, kind of go through one or two. Um, there's a gentleman from Canada who's been in touch, a gentleman who I'll call Brian. Um, he's also um, come off the back of uh, lo losing his job. Um, unfortunately, uh, I, I believe his medical insurance had run out. And he, he says that, well, you know, he, he'd had to been forced to kind of sell up and, and, and move on. And um, he's currently exploring, you know, kind of just natural ways to heal and researching and, and doing it himself and he says thanks for the, the podcast so far i've enjoyed them and can we please have you know more information on on natural healing and the different types and, and how to use them together uh, in combination that's something yeah brian i think is very very important is not just relying on one or two things at a time and and then going oh well this hasn't worked this hasn't cured me there's no silver bullet uh, for PCS, it's a probably you need a whole arsenal of um, if that's probably the wrong word, but you need a whole range of tools used in combination simultaneously, or like on a kind of carousel basis, in order to start to heal yourself. Uh, it is really about nourishing every aspect of yourself, not just your mind and your and your brain that's trying to heal itself, but your body, reducing inflammation, reducing anxiety and stress, and uh, you know, kind of retaining the belief that you can you can heal and get better, whilst also dealing with that grieving process. So keep up the good work, Brian, and uh, thanks for getting in touch. Stay in touch, please, as well. Um, also. Um, we may be having some uh, more contributions in the near future. Hopefully we will, but plenty more. Keep them coming. Um, also interested in any gentlemen out there that want to tell a tale, that want to tell the stories of their experiences with PCS um, too. And uh, I believe our own Gina Hubert might be contributing something uh, to help us uh, with the creative side of recovery. Um, to do with um, art and arts and crafts and general creativity. So uh, we're really looking forward to that as well. Gina's uh, down there in New Zealand. Uh, so uh, one more message that has come through, uh, a lady called Lucy. Um, but I think she's in uh, the, the West part of uh, the UK, so Ireland, um, I think the west coast of Ireland as well. Um, she's asking about uh, the connections between um, healing by just using means of natural recovery, food, diet and so on. Um, she seems like this lady's been through uh, quite a lot of different drugs from the health service so and she's had some issues she's saying she's happy to discuss this but she's saying she's had some issues with with self-harm because of being left on you know various prescription drugs painkillers and and uh, tranquilizers and things and and she's been through what sounds like a really rough time um and she says all all the time that I think she said four years or so, where she's just been literally taking one kind of prescription drug after another. And uh, she said things have just got worse. 
family and friends have, have, have kind of like shunned me, you know, in, in certain areas and not had many people to turn to. And, and as you say, fi finding your groups has been really, really uh, helpful, really important to her, you know, to her own recovery or, or getting her started. Uh, and she also mentioned a very, very um, kind of lucid remark was, well, yeah, you know, she feels like she's been asleep up until this point, uh, always just kind of managing to get through day to day. So I'm really, really pleased to hear that, Lucy. You know, again, stay in touch. Um, and a few of the messages, um, but we'll get to those in, in future episodes. Um, so thank you again for listening. Uh, and, and obviously we'll, uh, I'll speak to you again soon. And don't forget, uh, you can find us on Twitter at postconcussion. Facebook, Post-Concussion Syndrome Awareness Worldwide. And WordPress is Post-Concussion post Syndrome Awareness UK.wordpress.com. So thanks again and goodbye for now. This is a very important disclaimer. In fact, it's not even a disclaimer. These are things that most sentient, intelligent, reasonable people actually know. And what am I talking about? In fact, in well, with the podcasts that we're making, you have to be responsible. Myself, my guests and my podcasts are not here to give you medical advice. We are not paid professionals. So, as society and the woke community, community dictates, we're here to say to you, any information which we put out in the podcast, anything we give to you is not construed or considered in any legal way or fashion whatsoever as medical advice. Any reasonable person knows that. But you're always going to get one or two or maybe a few hundred people that really are just as dumb as A, B, C, X, Y, Z. So, please do not take anything we say as medical advice or any other way. Please do your own research, your own uh, just due diligence into whatever we say. And if you need, if you feel you need, if you really, because you could really trust yourself, feel you need the help, trust yourself to get in touch with your local practitioner, general practitioner, doctor, specialist, or whomever, or your psychiatrist, or whoever you're dealing with through post-concussion syndrome or any other health condition. And if I need to spell this out any more, just be really considerate and kind to yourself. And don't, please don't accept what we're saying as any kind of medical or legal or personal advice. I don't know how many other ways to say it, but I'm sure those of you who are intelligent enough will realise that, yeah, we don't give that kind of advice. And if you did want that kind of advice, you'd probably pay somebody that was really good at it to give, give it to you in the first place. So don't worry about that. Uh, just enjoy the podcast. And uh, this summit is 24 of them now, at least, and, and just, just really, really uh, have a, a wonderful time. And please get in touch if you need to. But don't worry about um, thinking that, you know, anything else. Just, just really, really enjoy what we're doing. And so much love and respect to you all. Thank you. <laughs>